among the conversations we want health professionals to have with patients, you can now add the cost of care to the list. We're already familiar with efforts to help doctors and other caregivers think twice and to think of alternatives before ordering expensive tests and procedures that may not provide any real benefit to patients. In the U.S., the hope is that changing behaviors at the point of care can contribute to an overall reduction in the growth of healthcare spending. But it's a lot more personal than that. Providers are now being encouraged to screen for the direct financial burden treatment recommendations could have on their patients. And the best way to find out is to ask, how do you do that? And how do you discuss financial resources and weigh treatment options without compromising care? That's our very important topic on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We're well into our sixth year of coming to you biweekly and also for later listening via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. The Affordable Care Act and the expansion of health insurance coverage in the U.S. offers a golden opportunity to talk with patients about out-of-pocket costs. It's a complicated picture out there, as most of you know. Some people are now paying more, and some, fortunately, are paying less. But either way, health care expenses are definitely on people's minds. Making it easier and possible to find out what's affordable is at the heart of an initiative called Cost of Care. The founder is here, along with some of the members of the team who are our guests, so we can learn what this all looks like in action. So I'm going to introduce all of them in just a moment, but first here is IHI's Matt Morse. He's sitting in for John Gothier today, and Matt has some reminders about how to make the most of your time with us over the next hour. Matt. Thanks, Matt. I have just a few items to point out to help you all make the most of today's program. On the right hand of your screen is our chat window. If you tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all questions and comments being shared. And there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to WIHI by streaming audio coming through speakers or headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a slower or less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If the problem persists, please let the folks at IHI's customer service department know, and I'm flashing a slide right now with that number. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. I'll post that again in just a moment. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, that's I-N-F-O at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking to improve the listener experience here on WIHI, and we need your help for that. Please take the time after the program to fill out a quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks very much, uh, Matt. And uh, I want to also uh, remind people we threw up a slide at the very top of the program. We titled it, or I titled it, What's the Risk? 
share your thoughts on some questions. You can do this at any time during the program. Are healthcare providers ready to talk with patients about out-of-pocket costs associated with care? What do you think helps these discussions take place? And what do you think prevents these discussions from taking place? Our guests today are going to be touching upon all of this. Uh, we welcome your engagement with this topic, with these questions, uh, and anything else that occurs to you during the program. A reminder, if you like to use Twitter, we welcome your tweets during or after today's program. Thanks for using at the IHI in your tweets. So let me now briefly introduce our guests, and we're very lucky that two of the people from Costs of Care are in the studio with us today. And we're going to start with Dr. Neil Shaw. He's the founder and executive director of Costs of Care, an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, and a faculty investigator at the Ariadne Labs for Health Systems Innovation. And this December, Neil will also co-chair IHI's 26th National Forum. Welcome, Neil. Thanks so much, Madge. September Wallingford is at Neil's side. She's a registered nurse at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston and the Director of Nursing Advocacy for Costs of Care. And she's going to explain what that means in just a few minutes. Welcome, September. Thank you. And joining us by phone, we have Michelle Ree on the phone. She's the Director of Strategic Initiatives of the National Brain Tumor Society and holds the same title at Costs of Care, Director of Strategic Initiatives, that is. Hello, Michelle. Hi, thank you, Matt. Wonderful. And way out there in California, uh, and also joining by phone, Christopher Moriatis is a board-certified internist and assistant clinical professor in the Division of Hospital Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco at UCSF. He currently leads, all right, hold on to your hat, the Center for Healthcare Values Caring Wisely program, the Division of Hospital Medicine High Value Care Committee, and the Internal Medicine Residencies Cost Awareness Curriculum. So Chris is busy. <laughs> and, we're, and, I'm running around, and I'm running around seeing patients today, but I'm happy to be here uh, with oh. you and everybody. <laughs> right. Oh, I forgot to mention that, uh, that as well. One, one note before we get started, I just want to remind everybody, some of you are regular WIHI folks, some of you are new, and welcome all. We do keep track of all the references and resources that get mentioned today. We post that to our website tomorrow with all of the audio and other resources. Um, and also a reminder, you can download everything that we share with you today on the screen as well as the chat, and this is the way you ha can have something to take with you to keep the conversation going. So we're going to get started, and I'm going to start right off with Neil. So Neil, I was thinking about this, that every encounter with the healthcare system in the U.S. typically involves an interaction with somebody, usually right at that front desk, often somebody, you know, slides back, you know, a glass <laughs> a thing and says, how do you intend to pay for your care today? So money is clearly mentioned in some way right up front, we're reminded there is a transaction going on here. But you're really talking about a different kind of conversation woven more into the patient-provider interaction. So let's start there, and then you can tell us about cost of care. Thanks, and welcome. Thanks, Madge. First of all, thank you again for inviting the cost of care team to be part of WIHI. Um, and thanks to the now, I think, 340 and counting participants that are um, part of this conversation live. Uh, you're right, there absolutely needs to be a different kind of conversation that's happening um, between clinicians and patients across the country. I'm not the first person to say this. I think members of my profession have advocated for a role, a better role, um, for clinicians in thinking about costs for more than half a century. 
But what makes cost of care a little bit radical is that we're saying that it belongs within the doctor-patient relationship or between the nurse-patient relationship. Um, you know, healthcare costs in this country are typically discussed at a really kind of abstract population level. We talk about huge percentages of GDP. We talk about hundreds of billions of dollars that are wasted. And I think, you know, patients are smart and clinicians are smart. They realize that those things are a problem. Um, but it's, we like to stay at cost of care. Very few doctors go to medical school to treat the GDP. And what we're trying to do is really reframe the conversation within this doctor-patient relationship and try to articulate what that means. You're right that, you know, at some level, the transaction is the elephant in the room. Um, the problem is that it's not made explicit at the point of care. You know, and that's when the vast majority of healthcare decisions are actually made, 90 cents on the dollar. Uh, and at the same time, we know that, you know, medical bills are a leading cause of personal bankruptcy. After passing the Affordable Care Act, um, I think, you know, you mentioned an article before the actual session today uh, that describes how increasingly Americans are enrolling in high deductible plans where they're exposed to more out of pocket. Uh, they're becoming part of these narrower networks, which means that in some ways, even though they're covered, they have less choice. Um, and I think it's more important than ever for clinicians to be uh, mindful and sort of uh, in charge of these conversations. You know, the flip side of this, of course, is that uh, patients are demanding this in 2014 in a way that they never have before. And this is true in the U.S., it's true all over the world. You know, we make um, every single purchasing decision in the modern world based on transparent information around price and quality, Yelp, Travelocity, you name it. And there's an expectation and now the technological capability to be able to do the same thing in healthcare. Um, and so, you know, we started Cost of Care in 2009, very aspirational idea. I like to say that we had a very uncreatively titled but exceptionally well-timed nonprofit. Uh, in 2009, the president had just been elected. Healthcare reform was at the top of the agenda. And the phrase cost of care got Googled a lot, to be honest. Um, I was just out of medical school, and we had a website uh, with a manifesto of what we thought the role of clinicians ought to be. But because it got Googled a lot as a phrase, you know, we got lots of hits, and suddenly we were the top hit on Google. Uh, and because of all of that attention, we decided we should probably do something to actually help people navigate these difficult conversations. Right, terrific. Well, let me ask you something. I'm showing some of, uh, Neil, thanks for your uh, opening remarks and showing some of your uh, slides. Just in a nutshell, because I think as we hear from Michelle, uh, Steph, excuse me, September and Chris, we'll get an idea of the different prongs of cost of care. But um, what would you say are sort of the main things that you're, you're trying to do with this initiative? Yeah, so I mean, we started, in fact, I started this when I was at the Kennedy School across the street from IHI, looking at the IHI, <laughs> very inspired by all the good work that you've done. And one thing that Don Berwick has said many times, which really resonated with me, is that the first step is to build the will for change. And even though in some ways, you know, when you talk to patients about this, they get it. They're right there with you. Um, but for some reason, uh, this is really radical within the profession to bring cost into the conversation. And so the first step was just to sort of build the professional will. And when we started, there was a really thin sliver of the profession that was willing to think this way. Uh, and today, with the Choosing Wisely campaign and other things that we'll probably get into in this conversation, the profession's in a really different place. Um, but we really started as an advocacy organization. 
And since then, we've now been able to move on to, okay, you've got some people that realize that this is part of the clinician's job, now how do they do it? Um, so we have a second platform that's education, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, and a third platform, which is implementation then. So once you've taught people how to do it, how do you set them up for success with the systems around them and the support that they need? Okay, thank you very much, Neil. And costsofcare.org is where you can find a lot of resources. Um, so if you haven't looked at it already, we invite you to do so after the program. We're just uh, sharing some uh, selection. And I'm just going to ask Matt to flip back to that one slide there, which is uh, the desire among students, I think, um, clearly, well, and recognition of um, how little people have been exposed to this and a desire. Let me explain this slide, because what's happening on the slide is incredible. So, I mean, when we started Cost of Care and I told you about all that email traffic, it was from two groups of people. It was from young clinicians, students and, you know, sort of junior physicians and nurses that were out there who saw the writing on the wall and wanted to be part of the change in the healthcare system. And interestingly, from retirees <laughs> uh, with maybe a lot of skin in the game and concern. Um, but what this slide shows is that among Harvard medical students who um, are special in many ways, you know, but in one way that they're special is that they get incredible training in uh, health systems and health policy. Don Berwick and Atul Gawande and all these great people come in and lecture to them and they have great understanding of the system's context of care. In spite of that training, they don't feel prepared to make cost-conscious decisions, which led us to believe that actually what they need to know is something different. And what the slide shows is the more training they have, which can include a PhD in economics, some of these medical students, um, the less confident they feel, which makes us think that the more they know, the more they know what they don't know. Okay, very, very interesting. Um, we'll, in, in our references that we're going to be sharing with everybody, you will see that there's some really interesting um, resources that are now embedded in an IHI Open School uh, course on quality, cost, and value. So there's a whole lot of ways as you see, so how some of this material is being embedded into initiatives and programs all around the country, you too can think about where could you locate some of these resources in your own organization. Uh, so hope that'll get you inspired as well. All right, I'm going to, thanks, Neil. Um, I'm going to jump to Michelle now on the phone. And Michelle, um, you bring a real patient perspective. Um, we're all patients at some point. Uh, or often, um, but I, I think, uh, you know, your your perspective or how you got to this place of being uh, engaged in this really comes from that patient lens uh, about what, what it's like to navigate through this uh, system and pay for the care that you need. So tell us a little bit about uh, your story and um, kind of what you're doing at Cost of Care, and welcome again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Madge. Um, I actually, I love this story because I think it really demonstrates the heart of positive care uh, when you sort of understand how I became involved. Uh, so uh, Neil had mentioned that he really had, this was a twinkle in his eye, um, really, when he was in grad school. And um, the story that Neil and I have is that we actually went to high school together our freshman year um, and then sort of lost touch. And uh, during the time that we had lost 
last touch, I was uh, diagnosed with cancer in college. I also was diagnosed with another rare disease. And over the course of uh, multiple years, I had, I think, eight surgeries, radiation, treatment, a number of different things. And the thing that kept running through my mind was, thank goodness I am on my parents' health insurance because there's no way that I would have been able to cover the cost of this treatment. Um, and even through all of that, my um, mother and my sister, who are both doctors, just didn't know what to do, of course, when a loved one is going through all of that. But what I found really striking was that, as Neil was saying, at the point of care, when we were having discussions with my clinicians and caregivers about what to do next, and we asked the doctors about, well, how much does this cost? Does this cost more? Do we really need to do that? Because the entire endeavor is obviously a very expensive one. Um, we had this assumption that the doctors knew everything and that the nurses knew everything because when you're in that mindset, again, even though my mother and sister are doctors, they weren't thinking in that way. Um, and so we always just sort of assumed that the doctors would know. And it, and we would base our decisions very much on what they told us, uh, even if they didn't know the answer. So when I ran into Neil again, um, years later, I think almost a decade later, we were both in grad school. I was actually getting a follow-up checkup um, from one of my <laughs> multiple treatments, and Neil was rotating through that hospital. And so we grabbed dinner. I told him my whole history and told him that the reason I was in grad school was because I wanted to be a patient advocate to help it make sure that other patients didn't go through what I had been through. And Neil mentioned this twinkle in his eye idea of helping clinicians speak with patients and helping to reduce these costs. Um, and so we, I think it was over pizza and beer. We both got very excited about this um, and about the idea that both sides of the conversation want to come together and need to come together um, so that things like what I had one situation where, and, and I remember telling Neil this one because it was uh, over pizza, um, I had come home, uh, and obviously my I was in school, but I had come home, and uh, there was a letter addressed to me, and I opened it because that's what you do, and it was a bill for over $100,000 for one of my surgeries, and I freaked out, of course, because I didn't have any context for this, uh, and had to talk to my mom to understand what was really going on with my health care costs, the fighting that she had had to do with insurance companies. Uh, to get things covered and how much it was really costing my parents out of pocket to pay for everything. Um, and and then, you know, and it would remind me of uh, silly things like there was one time where I was, I had surgery in one hospital. I needed to have surgery in a hospital literally across the street. And rather than allow me to walk across the street, they wanted me to go across in an ambulance, which seemed okay. They want to monitor me. And so we had asked the doctor, will insurance cover that? And the doctor said, yes, of course. And it ended up being $1,000 that the insurance didn't cover. Uh, so those sort of small decisions ended up really impacting us long term. And I ended up thinking of the cost of care as being almost a long term side effect to the illness because we had to deal with it for so long, even after I was treated medically. Uh, thanks, Michelle. One thing I'm curious about is um, do you feel or do you, um, I, you, none of us can represent all patients, uh, but 
from what your experience and perhaps your interactions uh, with patients and others telling stories, and on the Cost of Care website, there's a terrific blog that has a lot of testimony for patients about how grateful people were that things kind of came out into the open and that they had a way maybe to modify some costs. Do you feel that patients worry that when money becomes part of the conversation that somebody's going to, is kind of, for lack of a better term, about to skimp on uh, what's the best care? I think that, honestly, that can absolutely be a concern. Um, and I think that that's where it's very important how the conversation is broached um, and the context of the conversation. So I think anytime your insurance company calls you and says that you shouldn't, uh, that you should be considering the cost of whatever treatment, that's an automatic belief that they are just trying to save costs at the expense of your health potentially. Um, but if the conversation is instead one between a trusted caregiver, clinician, doctor, nurse, um, saying, you know, the best treatment for you, the best option for you, um, we really need to discuss that these are the different parameters, these are the different criteria that might matter to you so that you can make an informed decision. Um, in the, we, patients, I think, generally give a lot of trust to their caregivers and their clinicians because they don't know. There's this information asymmetry that happens. And one of my favorite uh, descriptions from Neil actually is that doctors and nurses are really the ones who can account for the variation around the mean. They're the ones who can understand the, the unique characteristics, desires, and interests of the patient um, and, and account for that in the care that they give. And so when you're looking at, um, as a patient, when a doctor is asking you or talking to you about cost, it's, it can be, depending on how the topic is broached, it can be very alarming and it can bring up topics and terms that I'm not even going to bring up because it would be <laughs> a negative. Um, but when we at Cost of Care have the conversation, we also like to look at those things that are win-wins across the board. So things like um, excessive tests that actually are uh, costly as well as potentially detrimental and harmful to the patient. And so if you at least start the conversation in that arena in one of those places that is relatively safe to have the conversation, it can help build the culture and willingness to even talk about these things. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Michelle. Really appreciate your remarks. And we're going to keep going around the horn, and we see people already chiming in with some thoughts in the chat, which is terrific. And we'll get to some of the, your comments in just a minute. Let me turn now to September Wallingford from Brigham and Women's Hospital, as well as Cost of Care. Uh, September, I was struck by something you wrote in a blog about a year ago, and here's, I quote, nurses bring a unique perspective to the healthcare cost conversation, so include us in the discussions. Give us a seat at the table and utilize us as active participants in the fight against rising healthcare costs, close quote. So tell us about this unique perspective and how you uh, think it can be helpful as part of the overall uh, conversation we're trying to have with patients and share any experiences uh, that you've had. Thanks again. Great. Thank you, Madge. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So last summer I heard Neil give a presentation and as I was listening to him describe how non-value-adding tests 
labs, procedures actually end up causing significant um, financial harm to patients. I was inspired to become a part of cost of care and to bring the perspective of the professional nurse into this healthcare cost conversation. And you know, you may or may not realize that nurses are the largest group of healthcare professionals at the front lines. Um, and I think that because nurses are able to spend the most time at the point of care with the patient and the family, that we really have the right and I think the responsibility to initiate um, conversations with ordering clinicians when we think that an aspect of healthcare is um, being overused or misused for a specific patient. And as nurses at the point of care, we already possess the skills necessary and we have the most time with the patients um, to be able to build those meaningful patient and family relationships and to be able to professionally communicate and collaborate with the interdisciplinary team members and to utilize scientific knowledge. Um, and we just need to start putting all of those skills together um, in a way that helps prevent financial harm to patients without negatively impacting their care. Um, and you know, clinicians and patients, we love examples. So the blog that I wrote uh, was an example um, of a patient that I had cared for who had undergone abdominal surgery. And three days after surgery, he started having um, signs and symptoms of an ileus, which simply put, his intestines weren't moving fast enough, everything was backing up into his stomach and really causing him a lot of distress. And one of the intervention is um, to put a tube you know, down the nose, through the esophagus and into the stomach and just start suctioning all of that stuff out. So that's the intervention that was chosen for this particular patient. And long story short, the physician placed the tube, we hooked it up to suction and out came over a liter of gastric contents. And because I was the nurse who had been at the point of care for a 12 hour shift, I was able to see immediately that that patient was improving and that the tube was working. So after we settled everything out, patient started resting. When I came out of the room, I was really surprised to see that the physician had put in an order for an abdominal x-ray to check to make sure that the tube was properly positioned. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Um, what value is that x-ray gonna add to this patient's care? And so I just went up to the physician and I initiated a professional conversation where I really emphasized the improvement that I had seen with this patient. Um, and I let the physician know what my assessment skills, what my evaluation skills uh, were at the point of care, asked him was I missing anything that he wanted me to assess for that I could, you know, page him later about. And so it was amazing because after this conversation, we had established an individualized plan of care for this patient. Um, and the x-ray wasn't necessary, and so it was discontinued. And I think that overall, we were able to lower the healthcare costs for this patient without negatively impacting his um, care. And so at cost of care, Neil likes to call those examples pragmatic opportunities, um, you know, the low-hanging fruit. And I think these are the opportunities that nurses are seeing every day um, at the point of care. And, you know, when, when I'm at work and my colleagues ask me what my role at cost of care is, and I start to 
describe how important I think nurses are to preventing non-value-adding um, care from reaching the patient. It's amazing how quickly nurses start to just give example after example of their experiences. And so once this conversation is started, nurses are incredibly interested, they're incredibly engaged, they want to help reduce the waste. But I think similar to physicians, um, I think they just need a better understanding of how to do it. Okay. Well, that's an example <laughs> that, uh, thank you uh, so much, uh, September. That's a great story. And um, I think, you know, where reality is is that sometimes these conversations don't always go so smoothly. And um, I think that's going to be the learning curve um, around, you know, questioning decisions, those types mm -hmm. of things. So I, I but I, I think it's, it's great to hear about. And um, a solid foundation uh, to turn to Chris Moriatis. Thank you. So you're like September, uh, where the rubber meets the road. Uh, in your environment, you're involved in patient care, academic training, uh, all kinds of things, uh, trying to sort of move the dial on these issues uh, with how providers are interacting with a lot of different uh, resources. So Chris, tell us what you're up to at UCSF and how it relates to the conversation we're having right now. Welcome again. Sure. Thank you so much, Madge, and all of you. You know, I, I wish so uh, badly that I was there with you in Boston, but perhaps it's appropriate that I sit at my desk here and tell you about all the things that are happening around me um, here at UCSF as, as we try to address this. So much like, um, you know, happened for Neil as a medical student in Boston and September as a nurse, when I was a resident here at UCSF training, I started to just notice all of the wasteful practices in clinical care that were happening around me and the complete lack of knowledge about how much any of it cost. I mean, nobody had a clue. Um, and so I thought that uh, we should probably do something about that. Um, and I started a curriculum for my colleagues uh, starting to explore together the costs associated with our own care. Um, we call it the UCSF Cost Awareness Curriculum with really the goal of simply raising awareness um, at that point. And how we started was we looked at actual cases from our hospital. I would sit down with a group of interns and we would look at the cases and we would um, actually get their hospital bills, their itemized bills, and go over it together. Um, and we'd say, you know, here's the hospital bill. You probably have never seen this. It's got our logo on it. It comes in the mail. It represents the care that we provided our patients. We should start looking at this together. And we started to look at common cases and think about the gap between what the evidence says we should be doing and what we're actually doing here um, in the hospital. And we think about why those gaps exist and what the downstream effects are in, for those gaps, both in actual um, patient outcomes and evidence as well as the costs. And at about the same time, I uh, hooked up with Casa Care and became involved with their teaching value modules that uh, they had started putting together. And the modules, I think, so our curriculum at UCSF really relied on a lot of local resources and, and, and kind of was quite specific to what we were doing here. The teaching value modules, um, which are available for free on the Casa Care website, I think are a great way to boil down some of those lessons that emerge from doing the hands-on work into fundamental building blocks that every clinician, nurses, physicians, physician assistants, any clinician at any level of training or practice should understand um, in order to provide the best care at lower cost for their patients. And it does it through compelling video vignettes. 
And I think we all started both here locally and at Casa Care um, thinking about advocating and educating and convincing people why they should care about value and choosing wisely. Um, and we're now uh, been moving over the past few years here to trying to actually do something about it. Um, so Neil often talks about the motto of leading from where you stand. Um, and I think we really followed that advice about two and a half years ago here at UCSF where we decided to launch what we call the High Value Care Committee within the Division of Hospital Medicine that I was just about to join as a faculty member. And so this High Value Care Committee, it's co-led by myself, who's a physician, and Maria Novolero, who's a financial administrator. And I think for the first time, at least here at our hospital, we were having uh, the cost conversations that were happening across the street um, and the quality improvement conversations that were happening here amongst physicians happening at the same table, saying that we're going to concentrate on providing care that will both improve quality while simultaneously decreasing costs. And if it does just one or the other, it's not that that's necessarily bad or wrong, but it doesn't belong in our committee. We're going to focus on this problem. And now we've grown to, uh, we just had our first meeting of this academic year, and it, the, you know, people ask what is the biggest metric of success, you know, have you dropped transfusions, and we've done these things, and I can give some metrics, but really the biggest metric of success that I saw was at our last meeting where the room was packed with residents, hospital medicine fellows, and other young hospitalists who wanted to identify targets and work on their own projects. Um, and so the way that this sort of personal um, mission amongst a few of us has grown to really a movement here um, that has, I think, lit uh, a fire many uh, young uh, clinicians is really important. And I think people may sit and say, well, sure, you're a UCSF, you know, I live in San Francisco, it's not the real world, and I realize that daily. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, these things can happen elsewhere, and we know they can, because last year we had our first Teaching Value and Choosing Wisely Challenge, um, which we launched in partnership with the ABIM Foundation. Um, and when we did this, we collected over 70 submissions from across the country, from people at every level of training, uh, medical students, nursing students, up to full professors, um, that showed the incredible work happening on the ground by everyone. And I think much like Neil and I found each other as kindred souls on different coasts that during our training had come up with similar um, ideas, uh, we're finding that there are many, many more people out there like us. And I, I think as we're seeing here, as people are continuing to join us live. Um, and so this year we're continuing this annual contest. In September we'll be launching, launching our second annual challenge. Um, and we hope to grow the community and get many submissions from all those uh, listening today. Um, and the last thing I wanted to briefly touch on uh, is that uh, as we now grow this work, we're beginning to see just from individuals to institutional interventions. And so I want to describe the Caring Wisely program that we started at UCSF. Uh, it's an organized process, as the slide says here, for engaging and supporting frontline clinicians in efforts to remove unnecessary costs from healthcare systems. And the idea is that we're going to both um, support these ideas as well as actually provide the resources necessary to, to pursue them. Um, and so much like is done in the Teaching Value Contest, we have a local ideas contest, um, open to everyone in our institution. We collect ideas um, from the everyone from the clerks on the floors to our nurses to our physicians. Um, and we've received more than 150 ideas in each of the first two rounds of this program just from people at our hospital. We pick the best ideas. We have an open proposal phase where we have clinicians put together robust teams and strategies um, about how they would actually implement those ideas. And then we provide them the resources to do so. So here at UCSF, we've um, 
got the medical center to provide $50,000 in funding. Um, and through the Center for Healthcare Value, we implement the Caring Wisely uh, program. And I think really important, other than just providing some funding, which can buy a project manager or buy some time from a busy first-year faculty uh, mentor's schedule, um, we provide the infrastructure. So we have a team of a project manager, a lead data scientist, implementation scientists, to really help the on-the-ground clinicians um, enact the change that they want to see within their work environment. Um, and we have a number of uh, projects this year working with neurosurgical resident physicians on improving transparency in the OR, working with emergency medicine uh, professor on a project to decrease unnecessary PE CT scans. And I think um, in summary, you know, over the last few years, we've really simultaneously developed educational implementation programs both locally here at UCSF as well as nationally with Casa Care. And we're providing hands-on experience and foundational lessons uh, that, I, that I hope will help uh, move this forward. All right. Thank you very, very much. Uh, lots of good stuff there. I'm sure people would have a lot of uh, questions for how you get that kind of a program going. And if any of you who are tuned in today have that kind of a program going at your own organization, let us know about it. Everyone would be very, very interested. This is a growing uh, movement, initiative, et cetera, and the more points of connection, uh, the better. We're going to turn to chat, even though many of you are chatting already, but I want to give our guests an opportunity to comment on some of the things that are, are coming forward here. I want to ask just a very, very quick, maybe clarifying question here. Um, I introduced the show today in some ways in a somewhat micro way, as in uh, how do you have these conversations with patients? Um, and I want to, maybe I'm just going to go back to you, Neil, for just a minute here. How smart do you need to be as a physician or a nurse about costs of care uh, in order to have a conversation? Uh, in other words, what do you need to know to have a conversation with a patient which at some level says, is any of this going to be a problem? Because I think part of, there's some confusion which can lead to a lot of paralysis, which is, Everybody needs to, you know, go back to school <laughs> and learn how to, you know, in a thousand different ways, learn how to read medical bills, understand why things cost so much, et cetera, et cetera, almost before you can do anything. And I don't think that's what you're suggesting. Not at all, Madge. Thanks so much for the question. I mean, at every talk that we give, we put up a slide that shows a generic American medical bill. Yes. And we put it up and we say there's three problems with it. The first is, this is the longest you've ever looked at a medical bill, if you're a clinician. Right. The second is that a lot of the prices on it are arbitrarily determined and inflated. But you don't, like, determine prices at the bedside. That's not your job. And it's really complicated to know at the point of care what things cost. There are billions of dollars literally being spent in the Silicon Valley right now to create the technology to enable that. And I think that's a lot to put on clinicians. Um, the third problem, though, is that about a third of the line items on the average bill don't need to be there. That is directly in our wheelhouse, exactly mm -hmm. the way September described it. There are, there's low-hanging fruit that we see every day. And in fact, you know, the first project that we ever did at Cost of Care was to ask patients and clinicians and nurses all over the country to send us their examples. Um, and I, you know, we were going to get about three prizes. I would have been really psyched if we got three responses and we got hundreds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because they're so commonplace and for some reason they weren't percolating into the public discourse. Uh, and so, you know, over the years, we've really kind of focused on what are the things that we can do that don't require major system reform, don't require medical malpractice reform, just uh, different decisions. And what we determined is that 
There's about $100 billion up for grabs that we can return directly to the wallets of the American people just by making different routine decisions. Okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, feel free to comment on that. I think it's all uh, people are actually making remarks at all levels of this issue and discussion, you know, downstream, upstream. Uh, somebody's suggesting we, you know, let's let's talk about, let's get down and talk about the cost of prescriptions, which is a big Achilles heel uh, for many. And um, I think what we're trying to do in some ways is sort of straddle this universe here. I don't think anyone wants to narrow the picture of what's all going on that's contributing to costs. Um, at the same time, what kinds of actions can be taken right away? Another way of maybe restating the question you had for me last, last in, in the context of what yes. you just said is that we can help patients better afford care without necessarily knowing the explosive prices. Yeah. And we can have conversations with patients about what's necessary and what's not necessary just with the knowledge that we have today. Um, and that's why a lot of our work and even the program that Chris described at UCSF really fundamentally depends on sourcing ideas from the front line. So I know a lot of our listeners today are people who manage health systems, that run health systems. Um, and you know what Chris described is that often those folks are kind of siloed from the front line and vice versa. Uh, you know, I had a patient who needed a life-saving diagnostic test uh, when I was a resident who refused to get it until I could tell her the price. And for me to get that price, it was, I had to physically go to a different building. Um, and nobody in the clinical environment had any idea. Um, you know, and, and so uh, a lot of what we're trying to do is try to bridge that gap and, and show how you can source ideas from the front line, bring them back to the C-suite, and make real improvements. Okay, thanks very much. All right, Matt, it looks like everybody mostly, <laughs> those people are already jumping on the chat, but just in case you haven't made a comment yet, uh, Matt can just quickly remind you uh, of uh, how to do that. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Madge. Uh, to use the chat, you'll see it on the right-hand side of your screen. Under Send To, make sure you're using all participants so that we can all see the chat. Type your message in the blank white box below and click send and we'll respond accordingly. All right, thanks so much, Matt. All right, I wanna, there were, uh, there's all kinds of comments and all we always welcome you, each of you responding to one another. Um, maybe I'll, um, I'll, well, I'll just go back to uh, maybe September and Chris for this one. Somebody said somebody, uh, the minute a patient learns about costs or maybe what might be their responsibility, I think this person said they bail. I mean, they're out of there. Uh, if, in fact, somebody can walk out, <laughs> they do. And, um, A, I, I don't know whether that's your experience, uh, how, you, how you kind of address that uh, concern that somehow that sort of information uh, can, to some, uh, be, you know, um, a deal breaker almost in terms of sort of engaging. Any thoughts on that? So, you know, I think back to what Michelle was describing and, you know, kind of goes along the lines of informed consent, but I kind of fit it in with more with shared decision making. And I really feel that if your clinicians are coming to the point of care and being transparent about a test, um, giving you all the information so that you and your family can make an appropriate decision, that costs kind of, they can be important, but if you think that you actually need that test because of what you're hearing, um, you know, costs aren't, I don't think, as relevant to patients. I don't necessarily find that, they, that they'll bail. 
um, mm -hmm. if they're given all of the information. Chris, thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I I agree as well with uh, September. I think you know, as clinicians, I just thinking about what I've been doing all week. I have a lot. I help patients navigate a lot of tricky situations. Um, we discuss chemotherapy and the terrible side effects. And you know, if we just presented a patient with, well, here's the terrible potential side effects of the chemotherapy, I think they would bail on that too. But we talk them through it. We we partner with them, and we we explain when things are actually necessary. Um, and how we're going to cross the, the challenges. And I think, you know, for us to say, well, cost of care is something that's going to hit a patient later but is not part of our, our, um, our responsibility, I think, is not doing a service to the patient. Um, and it's been shown to actually decrease trust in physicians, that when uh, weeks later they get that bill in the mail, as Michelle um, explained, uh, they, they actually feel um, less uh, connected with their medical care. Um, and so I, I think that we have to be thoughtful about it, and there is a fear that people will forego necessary care, but um, I think done in the right way, it, it's uh, an important part of what we do. Thanks very much. Uh, Kathy Day um, makes an interesting point, even in terms of our language, uh, when we talk about cost versus prices. And um, so there's a, a real education that's going on for everyone. Uh, you know, right, we're, we're at some level, what's what's the true cost of care? Well, that's one many, many people are wrestling over, but it has to do with what people may be charged. So it gets down to, you know, co-payments, co-insurance, deductibles, that kind of thing. Um, I wonder whether you have found and it, where you are finding any resistance at uh, it, it, some level, and also who can be part of the circle of having that conversation? I mentioned the person up front, you know, the receptionist uh, sitting there, which can be a little bit intimidating um, for for folks. Um, but who can also be part of that conversation, do you think, Neil? Well, I mean, there are, there are a couple different parts to that question. I think to the last part, what we're really talking about at the end of the day is the value of care that we're providing, which, mm -hmm. you know, cost is a part of it. But I don't think the person at the front desk um, necessarily talk to all pieces of the value equation and that's the whole reason why we want clinicians to be in on it because of course they know whether or not the test is worthwhile or how worthwhile and we want the nurse to be in on it because they always know the patient the best and can help sort of bake in their values as well. Um, well, I was also, where is their resistance? Oh, Are, the resistance, what, yeah. Um, what, so, what do you say to the clinician who's uncomfortable? I think actually, so it, there are always, um, I, I think the resistance is also nuanced because people, I think often, um, clinicians in particular, ironically feel like victims of the healthcare system often. You know, as, you know, Atul Gawande talks about this a lot, you know, as healthcare has gotten more and more complex, it's made things harder for patients. Um, but it's also made things harder for clinicians because they feel like they have more to do and less sort of individual capacity to get all of that done. Uh, and I think the resistance really comes from that. Like when we talk about building in cost, it seems like we're asking them to build in a whole new dimension of complexity to an already really complicated job. I think most clinicians fundamentally get that there's a way of thinking about cost that makes patients better off. I mean, there, there's a very simplistic ethos in healthcare sometimes where we want to be able to do everything possible for our patient and we feel like costs aren't really aligned. But as you showed in one of the slides that you put up earlier, Sometimes cost is in the patient's interest. Um, 
and I think you know you're not always going to bring everybody along right away. Um, but part of what we're trying to do is find those concrete examples of where knowing about costs makes a difference for real people and highlight them and get more of them. Exactly. One thing that seems um, reflected in, in, in this uh, chat here, as I'm seeing all your comments and thank you for them, um, people are concerned that, people, that patients are given um, about, you know, useful information, accurate information, that there's some suggestion here that maybe providers may not always have the most accurate information, so it's important to make the connections. And make, uh, so there may be others who may need to be more trained up in how to have these, you know, conversations in the midst, uh, connected to, to the provider encounter. I think encounter. it's going to be patient-driven and it's yeah. going to happen with or without the clinician. Right. You know, one of the things that um, we talk about often, too, is that, you know, today if you were to Google any physician, their first hit is probably not the profile that they created. Uh-huh. Right? There's going to be like 10 physician rating sites that yeah. pop onto Google first. Right. And we're moving increasingly into a world where patients reasonably demand and expect information. And there are a lot of people willing to give it to them. So the first company uh, to trade on the stock market that gives patients pricing information is called Castlight Health. A few months ago, they were valued at $3 billion. I mean, that's sort of the size of what we're talking about at this enterprise. It's going to happen whether the profession leads the way or not. So the question isn't whether we're going to build costs into our conversation. It's whether we're going to do it well in a way that we feel is ethically coherent and reasonably pragmatic with all of the other demands on us. And so that's really what cost of care is trying to help clinicians navigate. Okay. Michelle, what would um, success look like for you? Uh, Neil was just talking about patients at some level, whether get on board uh, clinicians because patients want to have these conversations. They're, they're looking at a lot of coverage also about tremendous variation in care, in prices, et cetera. They're wondering about all that. They are noting uh, what additional costs they're being asked to incur as a share you know, of the bill. What does success look like from your perspective, uh, keeping it also close to care as well, not just, you know, what, what, what does it cost? Actually, that, that is exactly how I think about it, where I would love to see costs incorporated, the ability to have the conversation about costs incorporated into the overall care conversation. Uh, I think September had mentioned it also, where um, it's part of the entire care of the patient, and you know, Chris was saying this also, it's another um, almost treatment side effect, however you want to describe it, of the overall care. And so I think success would be uh, an openness to have the conversation, even if you're not fully versed in it, um, being willing to have that conversation, whether you're a patient or a clinician. Um, and I think, you know, getting away from the taboo, even, you know, now when people are really motivated to talk about these things, um, as we're even seeing in the chat comments, people still are very hesitant because they're concerned of, about how that might come across or what the impact will be on the patient's behavior or choices. Um, and if we can move past that to the point where this is just a typical part of the care conversation, then that would be phenomenal. Okay, sounds good. I also, um, one of the things, uh, Chris, I'm really thinking about is what a sea change is going on here um, when um, 
perhaps at some point, now it's not saying that people don't want uh, doctors and nurses to continue to do this. Oftentimes what was being asked for for many years was to fight with insurance companies for the coverage um, that people felt that they deserved. And uh, uh, Chris, let me start with you. That, that feels very different right now. Um, how, how would you reflect on that? Well, I, I think what you're getting at is, you know, um, what we're trying to do, uh, both be Casa Care and here at UCSF, is really trying to take responsibility for the problem of overuse in healthcare and uh, low-value services um, as our own responsibility. Because you're right, clinicians don't like being told by um, insurance companies or by the government or oversight about what we can and can't do for our patients, um, and. Uh, for a while, I think that um, there was a big pushback against that. And what we're doing is we're finding that we should be asking those questions ourselves. We we should be, you know, providing the right care um, without having the need to to answer to um, such uh, strict oversight. And so it's a professional responsibility we believe to be doing this. Um, and and I think that's what we're finding is that by uh, in a way, I don't know if policing is the right word, but, but, but in a way by really committing ourselves to providing the best care, perhaps we can obviate the need for having to um, deal with, with such onerous uh, outside oversight. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And I do want to acknowledge uh, the comments that various people are making. Lori uh, Crooks is making a very good point that you can have a discussion uh, that is not necessarily, uh, you know, right down to the pinpointed dollar amount. I mean, what you're trying to do is figure, weave this into a conversation and, and one that's anchored in value and what's really going to be of benefit. Um, so I think that's super important. Matt, um, why don't we just take this brief moment to remind people uh, about our upcoming national forum where, <laughs> among other things, you can also uh, hear more about this issue. Matt? Thanks, Matt. Uh, today we've heard from Dr. Shah and our expert panel about a different kind of partnership between patients and their caregivers, making both more cost conscious and able to make better decisions together. If you want to learn more about this topic, come to IHI's 26th Annual National Forum, December 7th through 10th in Orlando, Florida, where Dr. Shaw will be part of a panel entitled The Cost of Care, Designing Value Improvement Initiatives. This will be a buzz session, one of several new interactive learning formats developed in response to attending feedback being unveiled at this year's National Forum. To learn more about Dr. Shaw's session, the new interactive learning formats, and the many other sessions and activities taking place at this year's National Forum, go to IHI.org slash forum. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Madge, can I just say something quickly about Absolutely. that session? Please do. Go ahead, Neil. While, while we're on a plug. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, this, this format, is, it's a little bit harder to get across, like, the mechanics of how you do a value improvement project. But what we're really trying to convey at that workshop at the forum is, the nuts and bolts of how you actually bring the front line in, uh, and then uh, a framework for how to construct a project that kind of goes beyond a traditional quality improvement project to meeting that whole value equation. Okay, sounds really good. All right, well listen, I want to uh, again acknowledge this chat that you're creating on the program today is yours to download and take away with you. Uh, you've all been really interacting very well with each other and with the topic today, and you're raising a lot of questions. Neil, what are you pointing to there? Do you see something there that you want to comment on? 
Oh, there's just so many great comments. <laughs> right, yeah. there, there are. Well, I think that people are, you know, some of what you'll find on the Cost of Care website, it's sort of reminding me of a lot of things people are bringing up, which is that people start, you start the conversation, as you were saying, right. uh, September, and all kinds of examples come up. And that's, I'm sort of seeing something that echoed with your remark about, you know, when people, nurses ask, what are you doing? What is the cost of care? They, you know, the, the information is right there. And you're right. And, you know, that example I gave in that conversation I had with the physician, that could have gone the other way. And that abdominal x-ray, um, you know, they might have wanted that, and there might not have been anything that I could do about it. But I think that the more that nurses are initiating these conversations and putting themselves in the middle of these conversations, I think that it, you know, will shift culture to where that's the norm is we're going to talk about the value of this test, the value of this, you know, people are writing lab draws, um, you know, the value of this medication in a cohesive interdisciplinary team and that ideally those conversations would go into the point of care to the patient and their family so that they could participate as well. All right, thanks. All right, we're going to just do a very quick round robin because we're coming to the top of the hour. Uh, Michelle, just some sort of parting words, uh, things that you're excited that you're working on right now, what, what we might look for, uh, and any final thoughts. Thanks. Thank you, Madge, so much for having me on, having all of us on. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about is just really looking forward to what we do next and seeing how we can incorporate all of the voices of the entire care team, nurses, physicians, patients, into the conversation. Um, and I think that the comments that are being made both <laughs> by my colleagues as well as in the chat about um, this not needing to be about specific numbers, that this is um, a cultural shift that needs to take place and then being able to have an open conversation so that um, the right decision for and right choice for a specific patient can be made. Um, I think that this is a really exciting time and we're at a point where um, there's just a lot of potential for this to really um, take fire. Absolutely, and um, <laughs> lots to engage with here. People are talking about preventive care, end-of-life issues, which, of course, is also part of it. So, obviously, this can be a, a germ of really doing a lot of really big thinking. Chris, final thoughts from you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much again. Uh, you know, I think really as is coming out, we're looking to build a community. And as I'm watching the feed go, there are so many interesting inputs and perspectives. Uh, and we're really looking to open up that conversation. Uh, and so we hope that you'll join us in this uh, effort and join us with this conversation. We're not here to propose that this is easy or that we have all the answers figured out yet. But I think together we can all work on creating a healthcare system that uh, better fits a place that we want to work in and a place that we want to for us and our family members to get care um, and you know we were as Neil mentioned limited in our ability to describe all the things that we're trying to do and, and to interact and so come join us at the IHI forum where we, we have more time to talk and, and get sort of more into the details um, join us at the teaching value and choosing wisely competition that we're having this year and then we are um, trying to put together a big view of this um, of kind of the changing world of healthcare value uh, in a McGraw-Hill textbook that will come out next year called Understanding Healthcare Value, um, written by the Casa Care team here. So um, we hope that together with all those things, we can help move this uh, movement and conversation forward. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, Chris. September, uh, final thoughts from you? Um, you know, kind of just echoing what everybody else has said, um, but my biggest thing is that I think that every nurse, when they see an order, can ask themselves a simple question, and that question is, um, does this add value to this patient's care? All right. Um, Pretty simple and straightforward. Thank you so much for being part of the program. And Neil, thoughts uh, from you? I mean, stuff is coming together. It comes from a lot of different corners. Yeah, it definitely does. But you know, we're at a moment right now that's very similar to what was happening in the late 60s with the environmental movement. I'm holding an Nantucket Nectars bottle in my hand right now. If I were to walk outside in Cambridge and drop it on the street, I'm going to get the evil eye from lots of people. Now, I'm going to go back to my hospital in a half hour, and if I were to order an MRI that no patient needs, I'm not sure who would even bat an eye. That's where we need to go, and we, we've done it before. Okay. And it was, uh, you know, it was students and their professors in the 60s who did it. So I think we can do it again as a profession. All right. Thank you so much. All right. A fantastic group with us today, Chris Moriatis, September Wallingford, Michelle Ree, and Neil Shaw. I really thank you. These folks worked with me uh, really uh, nip and tuck in terms of putting all this together, and we hope you got something out of it as well. Next up on WIHI on September 11th, where I titled this Tread Water No More, Making Sense of Patient Experience data, we've got a great panel uh, assembled to kind of help you walk through an awful lot of information that you're getting from patients in many forms right now and um, how to make sense of it and take action on it. And that web page is now live and you can sign up right now if you'd like. A reminder, you can download the chat when you get off the program today. You can also find it on IHI.org tomorrow along with the audio and other resources that are connected to this program. If you have any questions whatsoever, you can email us at info at IHI.org. And there's also a survey that pops up when you log off the program that we'd love it if you could fill out that tells us what worked for you on today's show, what maybe didn't work as well, and what we can always do better. And you can check out IHI's Facebook page as well and uh, see some thoughts uh, about today's program as well. And we hope you maybe tweet some ideas uh, as you think more about the issues. So I want to thank everyone for being a terrific panel, uh, for being a terrific group of listeners active on the chat as well. The people who help make WIHI possible are John Gothier, Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jesse McCall, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Lily Stairs. We always have some music that opens and closes the program. And as I always say, it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, thanks for being such a great panel and an audience. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day. <laughs>